Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Welcome back to the Brain Care Podcast, where we're once again joined by the master of habits, James Clear, this time to discuss habits in relation to business and work life. James, let's get straight into it. What do you think are like typically good and bad habits that are, you know, exuded from leaders. So if you get into a leadership position in in a company, whatever industry that might be, what do you think are typically the kind of strong, positive habits that would likely get you to that point? And what are the negative habits to avoid once there? So I think one of the strongest habits to build once you're there is the habit of writing great memos or writing great, um, you know, you can use a different word if you want, letters, articles, emails, whatever. It's the Jeff Bezos thing, right? It's just a brilliant hack. It's a very high leverage action. You know, you look at Bezos, you look at Warren Buffett's annual shareholder letters, you know, pick, pick whatever example you want. But the nice thing about those memos is that they, one, they can scale. So you can have an organization of 500,000 people and you only, all you have to do is write one letter and it can get distributed to everybody. Um, two, they sort of become this like reference document that people can look back to, to refer to like, what are our values and principles? What do we stand for? What is the you know core elements of our culture? And so it's a way to kind of scale the culture in that sense. And the other thing that they can do, and this is particularly true if you're good at telling stories, is that they can act as heuristics or stories that people remember when they're making decisions themselves. So as an example, there's a book called The Outsiders. Uh, it's by William Thorndike. It's a business book that profiles these eight CEOs. And one of the stories that he tells is one of these CEOs who, um, when they started out in their career, he goes and he's working at a TV station, a cable station, and it's in Buffalo, New York. It's this little office. He goes in on his first day and they tell him, uh, hey, we need to repaint the building. We're due to like, you know, update that. And he said, well, only paint the side that faces the street. And over the next 30 years or so, he rose through the ranks, eventually became CEO of the company. And that story kind of followed him along everywhere because cost cutting was one of his big initiatives. And so every time there was a budgeting meeting, every time there was a question about do we spend on this or not, it was like, how much do we care about cost cutting? So much that we only paint the side of the building that faces the street. And memos can be a great place to distribute that information uh, and kind of get that culture to, to stick. So I think that's one habit that's really helpful. The second one that I'll mention is a habit of, I guess we could call it refinement or curation or filtering. In organizations, particularly the bigger the organization gets, there's a lot of bloat in the number of tasks that are performed, in the features that are in the product. You need to be continually revisiting things and say, Can, what is essential? Can we cut this? Do we need this anymore? It's kind of like as corporations age, it's like they wear a weighted vest and they keep tossing a little weight into it and it just gets heavier and heavier and slower moving. And if you don't have that habit of refinement and editing and curation, if you don't have a continual process or cycle of getting back to what's essential, then you're often pulling a lot of weight that isn't really making that big of a difference. So another way of saying this is just a habit of using the 80-20 rule, just constantly saying, what are the minority of our actions that drive the majority of our results? 
and revisiting that again and again. And um, I think corporations that stay lean and quick and fast and high leverage, they do a good job at that. So what about bad habits? What are the most obvious bad habits that you think you'd uh, see from leaders to avoid? Well, not offering praise is a pretty common one, I think, particularly if you're in a high results environment. Everybody cares about outcomes. The world is very result oriented, but it's so obvious. I The example that I think is great for this comes from Peter Kaufman. He's CEO of Glen Eyre. And the example he gives is imagine that you get a new puppy and you bring this puppy home and it's scared. The first night that you have it, it's shivering in the corner. It's yelping. It's not quite you know certain. It is, it's worried. And how do you overcome that? You overcome it by showing them love and praise and safety and hugging them and feeding them on a regular schedule. And over the course of the first few weeks, not only does that puppy become more certain, does it become less stressed, it also buys in entirely. It like starts to become connected to you. It loves you deeply. And all you have to do is you have to show up and be reliable and care for it. And the same exact thing applies to your employees. People, when they start a new job, they want to do well. They want to be praised. They want to be rewarded. They want to feel certain. They want to feel safe. And it's funny, but most CEOs don't treat their employees with the same care that they would treat a puppy. And that doesn't mean that you treat people like dogs, but it does mean that you treat them with care and affection and you actually are genuinely empathetic towards them. And if you want a staff that has fully bought in to your vision, if you want a group of people that are willing to work for you and care about you as a leader, you have to show that to them first. What is the single most important habit to sustain a healthy mindset when building a startup or product? There are a lot of things to focus on whenever you're building a new product. And I think the the challenge is that you can often, it's so hard in the beginning because you are the only person or you have a very small team. And so you're being asked to do many different things. You're being pulled in all kinds of directions. And so the skill that is really crucial to develop and is constantly hard because you're always trying to upgrade it is learning to say no to good uses of time. So if you're doing it right, the things that you used to do like two years ago or four years ago, those are now the opportunity cost is too high. So you should be saying no to those things now and you should have upgraded to an even better use of time. And so I guess the habit that I would pick is a habit of reflection and review of your priorities. Um, and you know, you're gonna have to work hard, you're gonna have to execute, that's just table stakes. But you also need to make sure you're executing on the right thing. A lot of work and energy and effort gets wasted because we are working on items, say, number four or five or six on your to-do list. And those are the most dangerous items because you can always rationalize doing them. You're like, oh, it's kind of important. It's number four on my priority list. But actually, especially when the team is small and energy and talent or uh, energy and attention are limited, you have to say no to good uses of time so that you can focus on great uses of time so that you can dedicate your energy to priorities one, two, and three. And so I think a habit of continually reviewing those priorities is probably one of the most important things. Actually reminds me of a habit that I've tried to build for myself, which is uh, reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People regularly, which has this like perfect framework, essentially of exactly that, um, you know, the urgent and, and important framework. And just really perfectly helps you understand, is this really the most like, high value thing that I could be doing with my time? And I used to 
literally write out that matrix and put it in front of my screen until it became a habit because it's a very hard skill, like you say. I mean, the visual cue of seeing that. It's And the other thing that's hard is um, if you do it well one day, that doesn't get you anything the next day. You have to do, you have to make the decision again the next. It's a it's a battle that you have to fight anew every day, and that's one thing that makes it challenging. But that's also why there's an edge in it. That's why there's an advantage to the for the people who do it. Um, you have to pair that with a long term mindset too. I mean, usually the things that are in that important box are not also in the urgent box, and so you need to be thinking long term uh, if you're one, if you uh, want to really do that. I think in the most powerful way. What advice do you have for perfectionists who find themselves falling into the mindset of it's all or nothing? You know, if I'm not perfect in my healthy habits, I've failed. Yeah, it's a great question. I think a very common thing that people deal with with habits. What I would recommend is what I call the two minute rule. And I unpack this more in Atomic Habits, but just the quick summary is take whatever habit you're trying to build and you scale it down to something that takes two minutes or less to do. So read 30 books a year becomes read one page. Do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. Call 25 clients a week becomes make one sales call. And individually, those actions don't sound like a whole lot. You know, sometimes I tell people this and they're like, okay, buddy, like I know the real goal isn't just to take my yoga mat out. I know I actually am trying to do the workout. So if this is some kind of mental trick, then like, why would I fall for it? Basically, I understand where people are coming from, but I have this reader. His name's Mitch. I mentioned him in the book. He ended up losing a lot of weight. And for the first six weeks that he went to the gym, he had a rule for himself where he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he'd get in the car, drive to the gym, get out, do half an exercise, get back in the car, drive home. And it sounds ridiculous, right? You're like, obviously, this is not going to get the guy the results that he wants. But if you take a step back, you realize that he was mastering the art of showing up, right? He was becoming the type of person that went to the gym four days a week, even if it was for only five minutes. And this, I think, is a much deeper truth about habits and gets directly to the heart of this question, which is that a habit must be established before it can be improved, right? It has to become the standard in your life before you can scale it up and optimize it into something more. And a lot of the time we feel like, oh, I can't take action yet because I need to learn more. But the truth is, usually the best way to learn is by taking action. And so the two-minute rule helps you get over that perfectionist tendency, helps you get it out of this uh, cycle of planning and procrastination and start getting some results, start getting some feedback by taking that first action. Um, so I think that would be my recommendation if you're kind of struggling with that challenge. How do you ensure you don't just become a dull, boring, repetitive person, not open to randomness or chance? Yeah, that's a good question. There, this is a common criticism of habits. You know, oh, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I don't want to become a robot. What about spontaneity and creativity and freedom and staying open to the next opportunity? My response is that's a false dichotomy. Um, habits don't restrict freedom. They usually create it. It's actually usually the people with the worst habits who have the least amount of freedom. So it's the people with the worst financial habits that are always wondering where's the next dollar going to come from. It's the people with the worst fitness and health habits who always feel like they're running low on energy. It's the people with the worst reading and learning habits that always feel like they're behind the curve. So it's, it's actually by mastering your habits that you create the capacity to take advantage of new opportunities and have the space in your calendar to uh, take advantage of the spontaneous thing. Um, I don't know, maybe the assumption is, oh, the habits guy like probably wants to have everything scheduled, but actually it's the opposite. Um, 
So I have one standing meeting uh, each week on Thursday afternoons with my team. And otherwise, my calendar is open for whatever needs to be dealt with that particular week. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received and who is it from? My answer is maybe a little different than what you're looking for, but I think it's the best thing I've come across so far, which is that advice is fairly brittle. And what I mean by that is it's very, it has a very narrow window in which it applies. Um, the world is dynamic. It's not static. So circumstances are always changing. And even if somebody gives you a good piece of advice, even if it was a really good idea, it may not apply to your goals. It may not apply to this situation. It may have applied in the same industry, but two years ago and not right now. And so what I have found is that I like questions more than I like advice. For example, one question that you could ask yourself is, what is the work that I do that keeps working for me when it's done? And that question really helps me identify what are the high leverage things I should be focusing on. And I actually find that more helpful than someone saying, hey, here's a really high leverage piece of advice. You should do this. I actually have it. I find it more helpful to have that question and continually search for it. Or the question, I've been doing this one for the last couple of weeks. I'll start my day by opening up a notebook to a blank page and I'll just write at the top, what do I really want? And it's surprising how helpful it can be to ask yourself the same question again and again, because your date, your answers get more precise each day. There are some things that you think you wanted, but it turns out you don't really, or there's some stuff that you thought was the end goal, but actually that's just a middle step and you can cut it out entirely and just jump to the thing that you actually want. And the better that I've been able to answer that question, the better I can come up with good action steps. All right, so here's another question I like, which is, uh, can my current habits carry me to my desired future? And if they can't, if there's a gap between what you intend, what you hope for yourself, what you really want, what your desired future is, and what your current habits are, something needs to change. Uh, and so I like to, you know, it's a little bit of a hard question to sit with and to be honest with, but I think if you are, it reveals opportunities for improvement. Thanks so much, James. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-packed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week.